and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we learn to fight our life-stealing fears with faith. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and ministry leader who's passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. I would love to connect with you. You can find me online at my website or on social media. Just Google my name. Today, we're talking about something that as a mom and someone who's been involved in children's ministry for over 20 years, gets me really excited. And that's how we can raise courageous, faith-driven kids who boldly live out all God has for them. If our world feels frightening for us, we know it must for our kids as well. They're growing up in constantly changing, confusing, and seemingly chaotic times. Many of them have access to more information than honestly the human brain knows how to process, and that information is often sensationalized. Negative stories by far outweigh the positive, and this is what our children see daily. Even if we manage to shelter them from all social media and the news, they're going to hear bits and pieces. They're gonna hear it from friends at school, They're going to hear overheard conversations. They'll notice the tension within us and they'll pick up on our fears as well. So considering all of this, how can we raise courageous kids who stand firm in their faith, who turn to Christ when they're afraid, when they need guidance and comfort? We obviously can't shelter them from every dangerous situation and really that wouldn't be beneficial. I'm not saying throw your kids into the fire or a situation they clearly are emotionally or physically unable to handle, but we do have to be careful in our desire to keep them safe that we aren't creating in them an unhealthy and unrealistic fear. What's more, we never want to encourage them or teach them to suppress God's voice, to rationalize away his leading, or to choose fear over faith. Instead, we want to raise children who put obedience to God above all and who find their safety, their security, their identity, their peace, their joy, not in their ever-changing circumstances, not in other fallible and often faulty thinking humans, not in themselves and their limited wisdom and strength, but instead in Christ. And I have to pause here. Do we believe that Christ is enough, good enough, loving enough, powerful, and faithful enough to care for our children? If not, it will be super hard for us to train that level of faith in them. That's why it's so important we continually invite God into our most fearful places so that he can consider Consistently starve our fear and grow our faith in his love. When my daughter was in high school, she went on a mission trip with her youth group, which has almost become something of a rite of passage with kids raised in the church. I had normal parental anxieties, but for the most part, I was excited for her. I knew her experiences would deepen her faith and her relationship with Christ and the other students on the trip, and that is precisely what happened. She developed some really strong relationships that lasted her throughout high school and helped her feel more connected and engaged with her youth group, something that hadn't occurred previously. And even more beautifully, she experienced God working in and through her. And that is a powerful thing. When our children experience the love and power of Jesus personally, when they sense his leading, when they respond and then see confirmation of their obedience, their faith in Christ begins to shift from head knowledge, truths they learn in Sunday school, to a relationship rooted in the God they encounter personally. Throughout history, God has used moments of obedience and all that followed 
to deepen people's faith and their intimacy with him. And he does that with us and with our kids as well. God used my daughter's mission trip to grow, draw, and love her and love others through her. This was an extremely positive faith-building experience. And when she returned, I went to the dentist's office for a cleaning appointment, and I was so excited about the growth I'd witnessed in her. I started speaking with the hygienist about the trip and all that God had done. And the woman, she stopped and she sort of stared at me for a moment. And I could tell her thoughts were pinging through her brain. And then she shook her head and she said, She could never do that. She could never send her child to another country with her youth pastor or church chaperones to serve. And I think her child was maybe 13 or 14 years old. And then she went on to tell me all the reasons why, all that she was afraid might happen should she let her teen participate in a short-term mission trip. In short, she was afraid of losing her, afraid of her losing her life. What she didn't realize was through her fear, she was potentially withholding life, vibrant, abundant, God-led life. In giving into her fear, in choosing to let her fear rather than her faith drive her, she allowed it to negatively impact her daughter's faith. And that is so much more dangerous than anything her daughter might have encountered or suffered through that faith opportunity. When we parent out of fear, And especially when we speak our fears into our children's lives, we're basically training a faith with disclaimers. Yes, God is all powerful, except in this situation. Yes, his wisdom is perfect, except when he tells you to do this. Of course, he's all loving, but yeah, not enough for this situation. That type of limited faith lacks the capacity to stand. When my daughter was in college, she often wondered if perhaps God was calling her to serve in developing countries or a remote area without clean water. And I'll admit this always made me nervous, especially when she spoke of countries known to treat women poorly. But then I would think of Paul's words to Timothy, a young man he mentored and loved with the affection a father has towards his son. Now, this was during the time of Nero, a cruel and insane emperor who brutally persecuted Christians. And Paul was writing from prison, which wasn't anything like our prisons today. David Guzik from The Enduring Word, he says this was basically, quote, a cave in the ground with bare walls and a little hole in the ceiling where food was dropped down, unquote. So it was a cold, dark, damp dungeon where prisoners were often left to die. In other words, it was a horrific place. And the authorities had placed Paul there for preaching the gospel. In 2 Timothy verses 2 to 5, we can sense Paul's anguish. He wrote, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, while we don't know the reason for Timothy's tears, some suggest he shed them when he and Paul parted, not knowing if they would ever see one another again. But notice what brought Paul comfort. Not that God would keep Timothy safe, because frankly, he didn't know that. Instead, he received comfort and encouragement from Timothy's faith. Going on to say in 2 Timothy verses 6 to 7, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, 
and self-discipline. Scripture suggests Timothy leaned toward fear. And notice how Paul responded. He told him to fan his gift into flame. In essence, risking persecution and to yield to God's strength within. Both actions would lead to a vibrant living faith when strong enough to carry him through whatever he faced. Paul loved Timothy deeply, likely as much as I love my daughter and you love your child. I'm sure he would have loved to see his beloved son in the faith safe from all harm. But there was something Paul wanted even more, and that was to see Timothy living deeply connected to Jesus Christ. Therefore, despite the danger he experienced as a Christian, despite the human tendency to retreat, to self-protect, Paul told Timothy to fan into flame, to kindle afresh the gift God had given him. You see, Paul knew from experience life without Christ is no life at all, and he refused to encourage Timothy to have a pick-and-choose faith, where he'd respond with obedience in some areas, but not others. That's not following Jesus. That's following ourselves with Jesus thrown in for good measure. That behavior might appease our anxiety or our kids' anxieties in the moment, but such an inconsistent, intermittent faith is much too weak to ever carry our children through all the problems and challenges they'll face in life. When chaos and uncertainty hits, when a recession or health crisis hits, they're going to need so much more than a Sunday morning slogan to tack on to their rational decisions. They need a God who really is their God, a God who knows all, sees all, is in all, and commands all, their lives included. That's not to say that we, and even they, won't still feel afraid. Rather, the question is, what will we do when fear, ours or our kids, hits? Well, first, we initiate dialogue and we determine to listen well. We encourage our children in thoughtful questions to verbalize their emotions. This in itself can help defuse their fears. And here's how. Strong emotions engage a portion of the brain called the amygdala, which is our alarm center. It's designed to protect us when danger comes. And this activates our fight or flight response, which can shut off our thinking centers. So when a lion is chasing you, that's a good thing. You don't want to pause to analyze the situation. You want to run, but we don't typically have lions chasing us. Instead, we just feel that way. And when our kids are in that state, when their amygdala is taking over, it can be hard for them to process. We can help them dial down their panic response and dial up their rational thought by encouraging them to voice their fears. There's hard science to back this up. Brain imaging has demonstrated when one speaks their emotions out loud, our amygdala becomes less active and our thinking rational centers become engaged. So we can help our children voice their fears and thus help them to diffuse them. But even more importantly, we can train them and how to handle their fears, how to voice them in the future. Can you see the life-changing, life-building value God is providing? He's giving us the opportunity not only to speak to our children's fear and help them find comfort and courage in the moment, he's also allowing us to teach them how to stand on faith in the future when they're a parent with bills to pay and mouths to feed, and they maybe lose their job or receive a cancer diagnosis or maybe feel called to advocate in a challenging situation. God can use our children's fear to deepen our bond with them, to build their trust in us. And this is huge. Life feels so much more manageable and less frightening when we know we're not alone. 
And whenever we can convey that to our children, we are in essence strengthening their hearts and giving them a firm, safe foundation on which to stand. According to David W. Osberger, author of Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard, he said, quote, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable, unquote. So this means whenever we listen without correction, without judgment, without instruction, we are speaking love, and that's powerful. Through our relationship, we can increase our children's resiliency to handle whatever life throws at them. We can't control what they encounter, but we can provide a safe place for them to receive nurturing and the strength to face their challenges. Now, that doesn't mean we're never going to train or correct or guide, but I heard one counselor say that the ratio should be something like 90% to 10%, 90% listening, 10% teaching, correcting. So that's just a guide that we can kind of follow. We can actively and consistently increase our children's resiliency, the ability to stand strong through and recover from difficult situations. So let's talk about building our children's resiliency for a minute, about helping them have the inner grit to stand strong and tall in the face of chaos and fear. This is actually easier to do than we might think. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, here are seven ways parents and caretakers can build resilience in their children and teens. One, help them excel at things. Help them to know that they're good at something. We need to pour into their strengths and their talents and then acknowledge them verbally and specifically. And personally, I don't think the skill itself is as important as the confidence it has the capacity to build. Meaning, if your child is great at skateboarding, tell them and praise them for what this reveals in them, not just for the skill. So for example, you could say, wow, you've gotten so much better on your skateboard. You are so brave to try new things. Or I can tell you worked really hard on that art project. I admire your hard work ethic and your ability to persevere. Saying that's beautiful is great, but saying I love your creativity is even better by stating the quality or character trait that went into the skill. We're speaking life into their souls and we're helping to build those very traits that will build our children's courage and inner strength. Two, remind them they aren't alone. And I stated the importance of this a moment ago. Remind them that you're with them and will remain standing beside them, that you see them and hear them, their fears and their concerns. Assure them that you're standing beside them to help them cope so that their fears won't always feel so overwhelming. Three, help them serve others. Our fears tend to grow with self-obsession and decrease through sacrificial love. The more we serve others, the more our focus shifts and our world expands. Our minds can't focus on ourselves and others simultaneously. Even more importantly, like I mentioned earlier, when we encourage our kids to serve, we're inviting them to experience the power and love of God flowing through them. And that is powerful. Four, speak life into their hearts whenever you can. Tell them you love them, that you forgive them, that you forgive them when they mess up, when they make mistakes, that you believe in them. When they're facing a frightening challenge, acknowledge and validate their feelings, but also speak confidence regarding their ability to overcome. For example, you might say, wow, that sounds hard. I can see why that would frighten you. I know you can do this. While these words may not seem significant in regard to fear, by building our children's resiliency, they can dramatically increase their courage. Five, give your child, your teen, control over things. 
Let them make decisions when safe and possible. Maybe you allow them to choose one meal for the family each week or what electives to take in school. Really, if they are capable of making a decision, let them. And don't be afraid to let them fail. When we withhold their ability to make decisions, we're in essence saying, I don't believe you are capable of making decisions. And long term, that can paralyze them. When we say, I believe you can make this decision, we're empowering them to make tough decisions later. So don't be afraid to let them fail, knowing when we encourage them to risk failure, We're helping to eliminate the fear of failure, which will encourage them to take healthy risks in the future, like going for that new job or that promotion or taking a hard class. Fear of failure and the distorted thinking it stems from, it can hinder our kids from becoming all God desires, all they can be. So let me give a couple examples. When our daughter was in high school, she continually had to choose between coasting through or challenging herself. And this was always a difficult decision for her, but the summer before her senior year, it became even more so. Many of her friends were taking easy classes, were opting for early dismissal, and she kind of longed to do the same. I mean, who doesn't want a reduced workload? She'd already met her academic requirements, and she currently sat in the top 15% of her class with a four-point-something GPA. So in other words, she stood a really good chance of receiving a Regency scholarship, something she had been working tirelessly for since middle school. And we came to find out later what a big deal this was, considering she had two learning disabilities, which at that time weren't diagnosed, but significantly challenged her. So she knew, in a way many kids do not, precisely how difficult every hard class she chose to take on would be. She knew she could put in all of her effort all of the time and still fail. She knew also that she could fill up her schedule with electives or she could take AP Calc 2 and AP Physics 2. So in other words, she could preserve her GPA and therefore likely secure the scholarship by taking easy classes or she could risk it all by taking two classes that would greatly challenge her. And she wanted my husband and I to tell her what to do. And man, did I want to. Releasing her to make her own decisions and therefore experience her own mistakes, that was hard. That is hard. But seeing a child paralyzed by fear, unable to make a decision, that's harder. So we told her we trusted her to make this decision, but we strongly encouraged her not to make it out of fear. We had a long discussion on the value of taking healthy risks. I knew long-term she would grow exponentially more in character, courage, confidence, and perseverance by choosing the challenging option. Whether she failed or succeeded, received a $25,000 scholarship or lost it, her grit developed by every hard choice and her ever-deepening relationship with Christ, something that's often most strengthened through diversity, would carry her into adulthood and beyond. Because we knew she would one day face challenges much greater and more consequential than a failed math class. Another young woman I know had an entirely different journey, one I still see her struggling with today as an adult. And in fact, to an even greater extent, her struggle has only increased. When she reached her senior year, her mother encouraged her to take easy classes. Why add more stress, she would ask her. And I know she was trying to convey love and support. And maybe she was worried with the level of stress her daughter carried. But in encouraging her daughter to seek out the quote unquote easy road, the mom was in effect saying, I don't believe you can do that. That's too much for you. You might fail and failing should be avoided at all costs. And based on what I saw, I suspect this young lady's parents conveyed that message throughout her life. That 
failure was something to be avoided at all costs. And she soaked it in. She now believes she can't succeed. She always takes the easy road. She avoids opportunities and roles and career choices. If she thinks there's even a chance she might fail. Her mom probably thought she was being supportive and loving, protecting her from harm and stress, but in the long term, she crippled her. A heart that never struggles never grows. It shrinks. Scripture and life demonstrate we cannot thrive without adversity. That's so hard, but so necessary for us to remember. And that doesn't mean, like I said earlier, that we intentionally throw our children into chaos, but it means we don't rescue them from the chaos when it comes. Instead, we walk beside them. We teach them how to lean on Jesus, how to seek his perfect wisdom, how to make wise choices and persevere through difficulty. It means we don't fight their battles for them, but instead we train them to become warriors. It means staying alert to the unspoken messages we're sending. Are we telling them we believe in them? that we believe they're strong enough to push through adversity and bounce back from failure? Are we demonstrating that we believe God has them and will continue to carry them, that his plan for them is bigger than their momentary failure? Are we grounding our kids in truth? They need to know first that truth is indeed truth. And second, how that truth intersects with their life, their concerns, and their fears. And they need help unpacking their fears. Our fears make proclamations regarding what we truly believe. They reveal cracks in our faith that God wants to repair with unshakable truth. This is true for us and our kids, and I share this in episode one, where courage is found. Before we can point our children to the perfect truth for their situation and their fear, we need to know precisely what proclamations their fear is making, and this requires dialogue. Our goal is to get to the deep universal need or felt need level. So let me provide an example. Let's say they're afraid of starting a new school. Through dialogue, we discover they're afraid they won't make a friend or the other kids won't like them. So what's their felt need? They want to know that they will experience love and acceptance, or perhaps their fear reveals a false or insecure sense of identity. They might also be struggling with all of these issues and more simultaneously. Once we know this, we can help them see how God cares for their needs and longs to meet them. Can you see how this can fill their heart with more courage than simply saying, who cares what the other kids think? You shouldn't let them get to you like that. Instead, you can say something like, I can understand why you feel this way. That's really hard. It sounds like you're afraid of being alone. God doesn't want you to be alone. In fact, he created us to need one another and live in close relationship with one another. Because he gave you and I that need, we can trust him to meet it for us. Then you can begin learning and reminding one another of truths related to this. I would suggest spending significant time on one fear before moving to the next because it takes time for truths to sink deep and to impact our thinking. And remember, our focus is on our child's long-term strength, courage, and resiliency, not just on providing them comfort in the moment. We need to be pointing them to the truth of scripture. The Bible is our only objective, unchanging source of truth. While mom and dad's opinion might give them comfort for a time, our kids eventually come to realize we're not superheroes with perfect, infallible wisdom for every situation. As a result, they'll probably hear everything we say with something of a disclaimer, but God's word, scripture, has no disclaimers. It is true always in all circumstances, regardless of whether we agree with it or not. What's more, it has the power to change our thinking. And that's what our kids need most. 
Read biblical accounts of courageous people, noting not the person's courage, but rather the power of God revealed. Note what God did and what each account reveals regarding who he is, his unchanging nature. Help your children get to know the God of all creation through each story. We tend to approach scripture from a very me-centered lens. For example, we read the story of David and Goliath thinking of how we too can conquer our Goliaths with faith. But the real value of that story is how God came through, how God conquered Goliath, a massive giant, through one practically unarmed boy. As our kids see the God of the impossible working through seemingly impossible situations, their problems will suddenly appear much more manageable because their vision will begin to shift off of how things appear and onto what they know to be true, that nothing is too big, too powerful, or too difficult for the God of heaven's armies. Ultimately, we need to do all we can to saturate our kids' hearts and minds with scripture. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is alive and active, able to speak to our current situation, giving us God's perfect wisdom for everything we might face. That is their firm foundation that they can always stand on. That will provide guidance for every situation. We can show them in how we address their fears and also how we deal with ours, how to turn to scripture for truth and strength. For example, say you're worried about losing your job. Instead of hiding this fact from your children, instead of downplaying your fear or remaining fixated on it, you could use it as an object lesson in how to lean on Jesus and build your faith. You could say something like, I'm really nervous about losing my job. I'm afraid and need God to remind me of who he is and all he's promised. So I'm focusing on verses that assure me of God's love and care. And then share a specific verse that is spoken to you regarding that fear and how God is speaking to you through it. When my daughter was growing up, there were certain core truths I repeatedly taught her. Truths I believed had the capacity to carry her through whatever she faced. First, God had a plan for her. One he set into motion before she took her first breath. Ephesians 2.10 and Psalms 139.16 promise this. Second, God is big enough, loving enough, and powerful enough to carry his plans out. Third, God has promised to guide his children. Jesus made this clear in John chapter 10 that he would guide his sheep or followers and that we would recognize that guidance when he came. Obviously, that's a process of learning to recognize his voice, but our children need to know that God's ability to guide us is even greater than our ability to hear that guidance. He's not watching over us or our children saying, oops, they totally misheard me there, fail, they missed that one. That's not love. Rather, I believe when we mishear, he simply nudges us gently and persistently back on the good, hope-filled path he has for us. There's such peace in knowing that, in knowing that no matter what we face, we're right where God wants us. We can give that assurance to our children, and we do that by helping them develop a living faith in the living God. When our daughter was going through a difficult time, our family started looking for God moments throughout the day, and then we talked about them over dinner. So these could be anything from an unexpected blessing to an opportunity we knew came from Him. This practice not only helped us celebrate the good, which is a powerful way to fight our fears, but it also helped us look for and recognize God's involvement in our lives. And the more we looked for God moments, the more we saw them. Our daughter is now 23, and she naturally sees God working in and through her life. And I believe in part because she practiced this discipline as a teen.
So today we've talked a lot about the spiritual ways to help our children fight our fears, but I don't want to omit practical coping skills such as deep breathing techniques, exercise, using art therapy to improve their mental health. I'm convinced much of the anxiety we experience comes from accumulated stress that we haven't dealt with appropriately. Our children need exercise. They need times to relax. They need fresh air. They need sunshine. They need the opportunity to be creative guidance in what psychologists call cognitive behavioral therapy or what scripture terms as taking their thoughts captive, which basically means learning to stop negative thinking rather than feeding it and to redirect it onto truth. That won't be easy. And we need to let our kids know that somehow negative, fearful thoughts come more naturally, or at least that's often the case with me. It takes determined effort to reroute my thoughts and it will for our kids as well. But the more they do this, the easier it becomes. Every determined, intentional, positive thought helps reroute our neural pathways. Scientists call this neuroplasticity, and it basically refers to the way our brains continually rewire themselves. Think of our thoughts like water flowing along a channel. Initially, all the water flows down one channel, one direction, deepening the channel as it goes. And at first, it's not easy to reroute that stream. But as we redirect it, a new channel begins to form, deepening so that the water more naturally flows in the new direction. And the same is true for our thoughts. This is a skill we can actively and persistently teach our children. And finally, we might need to get our kids help. We did. My family did. We discovered after trying all of these great faith and confidence building tools that our daughter still struggled with significant anxiety. So we got her help. She saw a therapist who helped her talk through some stuff. And she also received medication for a while. That was a lifesaver for her. Therapy isn't a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of strength. And there are many wise Christian counselors who can help our children cope with our ever-changing, seemingly chaotic and uncertain world. Our kids will experience fear, but they needn't be paralyzed by their fears. In fact, when handled well, their fears can actually lead to increased faith, a more vibrant and intimate relationship with Christ, and a deeper bond with us. We talked about a lot today, more than I suspect most of us will remember. For that reason, I encourage you to listen to this content again, and maybe focus on a couple things you feel would be most helpful for your family. And make sure to check out the show notes for some discussion questions you can discuss as a family. I also encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you won't miss a single episode, and I would love it if you would rate it. That helps others to find it. It encourages me as well. And make sure to share it with your friends because life is much too short for any of us to live afraid. Until next time, go in peace, go in impact, and go in faith. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.